Okay. Uh, last week, honestly, I wasn't feeling good, and uh, I was frazzled. I don't know if you remember, but um, I forgot to record it, and I forgot to start the recording. Um, so if you missed it, uh, you are out of luck. You do not know how to disciple in your home, and there's no hope. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but it's recorded today. I, I posted uh, the previous one um, uh, yesterday. So th- if you go on the we- website, um, and we'll send this around in the email as well, um, you can see them, you can listen to some of the discussion, hopefully you can hear everything. Um, but today we want to talk about, um, one of the uh, questions that came up was um, gender roles and egalitarianism, kind of combined with um, one of the questions was, if we've grown up in kind of patriarchal circles, what did we miss about women? Um, that's, that's a much larger discussion. Um, it's funny, uh, Toss old pastor, Eric Schumacher, Schumacher, Schumacher. Schumacher. He corrected me when I said it wrong. Gotcha. Thank you. Eric Schumacher, uh, along with Elise Fitzpatrick, wrote a book called Worthy, where they kind of go through and, and trace out um, uh, women in the Bible and the ways that uh, they're shown to have value. Um, and it's interesting because uh, Eric and Elise are both complementarians. Um, they, they hold to um, the idea that um, only, only men can be elders and leaders in the church. Okay, so, uh, but, but it's still, I think it's still a good way to look and see, um, here's some women that have been overlooked um, and, and it's giving them value. What I want to do today um, is kind of walk through and, and, and make this an exercise in how do we deal um, with the Bible? How do we uh, understand the Bible? How do we interpret the Bible? Um, especially when we get to passages um, that are hard to understand. Um, passages that, that, like when you read them, honestly, there's some of these we'll read and it's like, what? What the heck is he talking about? Okay, um, Peter even admits this uh, in, in one of his epistles. He he says, uh, "Guys, we know Paul has written some things that are very hard to understand." All right. Um, so if Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who witnessed the resurrection and um, spent time with Jesus himself, um, is struggling at times to interpret Paul, um, we should have some humility when we come to uh, understanding Paul. That doesn't mean that. We're hopeless and we can do whatever we want. Okay? What we want to do is we want to come to the Bible, understand what it's trying to do, um, and then walk away and say, okay, how do we navigate the world that we're in now? Um, and the big idea, if you see at the bottom there, um, this, is, this is where I want to get. Um, uh, not necessarily like, here's, here's our position paper and this is where we stand, and, and, and we might get there, who knows? Um, but what I, what I want us to understand is the Bible is not an instruction manual on how to create culture. Um, it's a book of wisdom on how to navigate culture. Um, and so what we want to see is how is Paul navigating his culture and how does that inform us on how we are to navigate our culture. Um, should we just take everything that he says um, at face value and just follow it verbatim? Um, or should we understand what Paul was concerned with and what he was doing and then say, okay, we're in a different culture. Um, how do we navigate it? Okay, so there's a few passages on the back. Um, I took all of these from the ESV. If you have other translations, that's great. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit um, because sometimes uh, I think one of the first things you have to understand is um, every translation is an interpretation. Okay? Um, you, you can't translate without doing some interpretation, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we just need to understand 
What are the interpretive uh, uh, qualities that are coming to this passage? How does that inform the passage? And then um, how, how, do we, how do we deal with that? All right. So the first, does anybody want to read the first uh, First Corinthians uh, 11 for us? Um, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman <coughs> is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man is not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman... In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Because of the okay. angels. Because of the angels. Okay. <laughs> so clear. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot there. Okay. What, what, what are some, some things that you notice right off the bat? Any observations right off the bat? Before we make statements. There, there's some if-then statements, right? If, if you're doing this, then do it in this way, right? Hair seems to be a bigger deal than... <laughs> there's, there's something cultural about hair. They're working on assumptions about, like, well, since it's disgraceful, right? Like, because of this fact, yeah. then if-then... Since we know that it's a shame for a woman to shave her head, in other words, if they're not going to cover it, they might as well just shave it. But since we know that it's disgraceful to shave it, then they should cover it. Okay. What, what, what else, what other observations do you see there? I feel like it seems a little bit contradictory. Okay. At the beginning, it talks about, um, like, women like men being over women, but in the very last statement, it talks about um, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it seems very different than what this starts with. It's, it's, yeah. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Right? When, when it says head, what do you normally, like for us reading it in English, what, what do you think of? Authority, like head, like you're the head of the household, right? Um, you're the head boss, right? Do you do you think that there's a possibility that that word head, it's like a Greek word kephale, um, might mean something else other than like authority? Well, well, first off, do, do any of you think that um, when we are prophesying or praying, okay, which, um, first off, there's an assumption that everybody's doing it, okay? So right off the bat, there's this assumption that everybody is prophesying or praying. Do you, do you, can we all agree to that, right? In our church, 
Um, we are comfortable having essentially everybody prophesy and pray at different times. Um, we have called a confession. We have called a worship. We have, you know, all, all, all of these elements. Um, and there are times that um, people have gotten up and said something very prophetic. Okay. Or have gotten up and prayed for us. Have you ever stopped and thought, hey, when we're prophesying and praying, we should make sure that we're following the instructions here on head coverings? Okay. What, why, why do we think that this doesn't apply to us in the same way? Um, what is there, like, what, what kind of clues do we have? Um, or, or, okay, this is also a possibility. Um, should we say, hey, guys, like, we, we have... We have failed to be faithful to what Paul was telling us to do. And, and we need to adjust the way we act. Hmm. Not, we're not going to do Okay, no. Okay. Okay, good. I, I, don't, I, I don't think. I, I, know, I know people. We were in a church once where they were teaching through uh, 1 Corinthians. And they had to come to the conclusion. Guys, like some of you women, you read this and you think you need to cover your head. That's fine. Um, if, if that's, if that's your conscience, you're going to do that. Other women don't. And so like you, you would see half the congregation, they would wear head coverings or hats or veils or whatever. Um, I know a woman who, um, covers her head all the time because, because Paul says to pray without ceasing. And if I'm going to do that and I'm supposed to have my head covered, then I should never have my head uncovered if I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. Okay. Why, why, go ahead. What does it mean to have your head covered? Uh-huh. Is that, does it mean a hat or does it mean just having hair? Yeah, yeah. Excellent question. And it gets at the root of this, like, what is Paul actually dealing with? Is it, is it just hair? Is it, like... Is it, you, you remember growing up, like, we're, hey, everybody, we're going we're gonna to pray, take off your hats, right? Why? What, because Paul says when you pray, you men should have your head uncovered. And we never required the women to take off their hats. Why? Because Paul said. So what, what does Paul even mean when he talks about veiling the head or uncovering the head? Is, do, is, is that something that in our culture that's important necessarily? If you saw a woman with, with short hair, shaved hair, would you consider that to be disrespectful? Or a disgrace. Or a disgrace. A disgrace is what he says. Does, in our culture, does that, maybe if you're like really old school and you grew up in fundamentalism, maybe you have those weird attachments, but we, we, don't, we don't think in those terms. Okay, so Paul is trying to do something here, and it's important for us to understand what Paul is trying to do. Okay? So what, what, what do you think we need to do with this passage then? Well, you always have to look at the bigger context. Yeah. Look at the bigger context. What the heck was 1 Corinthians written for? Yes. Mm. Otherwise, you're ripping word. it out just like yes. everybody else. Absolutely. What is it written for, and what was the cultural context that he's writing to? Okay? Do, do we do it? Does anybody know that off, off the top of their heads? Do we, we understand that? I, I didn't always, um, and even like going through Bible school, I wouldn't say that I did, okay? This is where scholars can come in and help us um, to interpret the Bible. This is where it's a little bit dangerous for us to just say, like, well, it says this, you know, the Bible says that I believe that that settles it, right? 
Um, in this culture, um, the veil was a sign of patronage, that you were under the authority of a husband or a father. In other words, that you weren't making yourself available sexually, especially with some of the sex cults that were going on at the time. Okay, So the prostitutes in those cults would, would shave their heads, and it's an indication, right? Is it, what, what do we mean? Is it a disgrace? If you were dressed very provocatively out in the red light district, okay, that's kind of you, – you are openly advertising that you are available sexually, okay? So do you see how Paul might say, guys, shaving your head has this cultural connotation. That's disgraceful. We don't want our women to be giving the message – that they are sexually available. Does that, does that make a little bit more sense? Okay. The law was that women under patronage were required to wear their veil. You were required by law, and the men were in charge of everything. You, you were required law, by law. You mean like civic law? Roman civic law. Yes, yes. Not Jewish law. Roman civic law, you're required to veil. If you are not under patronage, you are required not to veil, right? The law says you, you should not wear a veil and you could get in trouble if you did, okay? Um, so Paul here is saying like when you guys are in church, when you guys are together and you're praying and prophesying, the women should veil their heads, okay? And the men shouldn't. There's a different, like you're, you're covering, like when, when it talks about head, it's not, it's not talking about authority. It's talking about, and, and you'll, you'll see this in other places where Paul, um, he says things like, woman is the glory of the man, and man is the glory of God. Um, it's the same idea here that women bring glory to men because they are glorious. It's not, it's not like putting you down below them. It's saying that you are, like when, when, when in the creation account it talks about helper, that, that idea of helper is not like you are secondary. It is that you are necessary in order to complete something, right? So here when it talks about man is the head of woman in the same way Christ is the head of God, it is Christ is revealing the glory of God. Women are revealing the glory of mankind. Um, and it's, it's something in their culture, if a man wore his veil, you're covering up that glory to them. In other words, you're dishonoring God because you're covering up that glory. But for women, the cultural connotation is different. Where if you're not covering it up, you're saying something in your culture that is very specific. You're saying you are, you are sexually available. Paul is saying we don't want to do that. It seems to be, in, if, if, if you read the commentaries and the, um, the scholars... There was a faction of people who were saying, since we are all one in Christ, the women shouldn't veil themselves. Okay? Um, which, which gets really awkward because it's the men who are in charge who are telling women you shouldn't veil yourselves when women's hair was something that was um, provocative. It, it would be like, let, let's say that we had uh, all, all males in authority and we said, listen, guys, cre creational order says that um, there are no clothes. And if we are going to be the redeemed people of God, restored back to the original created order, 
We don't believe that we should be wearing clothes. And it's all the men who are saying this. Okay, do you... But only the women have to not wear the clothes. Would the women have a problem with that? I, I don't want to reveal myself in that way. Okay, so here... The women are not the ones that are not wanting to veil themselves because of what it connotes in their culture. And Paul is saying all the women should veil themselves. Do you see what he's doing to the women who were not under patronage? It's protection. It's protection. Yeah. It's like we're, we're going to offer you this dignity that our culture has refused you. Okay? All the women should veil themselves. If you're not going to veil yourself, you might as well just shave your head. But we know that's discreet. We know what that would tell people. So I want everybody to veil themselves. And we're not going to discriminate in that way. And then he goes on. Um, it talks about man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Um, and then he says, this is why a wife ought to have. And here's where it gets weird. You don't, you don't see this on the paper. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay. The word a symbol of, that's, that's uh, if, if you look on your Bible, you'll see it's in uh, italics. Okay. It's really saying that that is why a wife ought to have authority on her head. And what, it, what it's, to, to me, okay, and we can disagree about this. The best interpretation based on the cultural context, what Paul is talking about, what what it seems like the argument that they're having is that a woman should have the authority over her own head. Okay? You you should not be telling a woman to veil or not to veil. They should have that. They they should have that authority. Okay, so what does it mean because of the angels? Paul elsewhere talks about we are going to judge the angels someday, right? Um, and there's, there's not a differentiation there that it's going to be the men judging the angels. Um, it's really the idea that the people of God will, in restored creation, be judging the angels. Um, and if a woman can't even make decisions about what, what to do with her own head, how will she judge the angels? Can I tell you, this is, the phrasing is weird. That's the best I can come up with. I'm not completely sure. Um, but then he goes on to say, but don't forget, you guys are not independent of each other. Just because I'm elevating women doesn't mean that you guys are all independent of each other and can make all of your own decisions in isolation and, and decide things that um, only affect you, right? Because you guys are a unified body, okay? All things are from God. Okay. Yeah. I got a question. Yes. So I forget what version it was in, to be honest, but one of my Bibles had a note on angels that says that the word can also just mean messengers. And we assume yeah. that it's something supernatural. Yeah. yeah. But going along with your comment about you don't want to seem to outside culture like something weird's happening, yes. like all the men are pressuring the women to appear available, and it says because of the messengers. So yeah. like the the thought in that translation at least, and again, it was probably written to disagree because I can't even remember where it was. Is like don't be weird for visitors, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. And and there's other places where Paul like says that explicitly, like, hey, we don't we don't want outsiders to be 
um, to be weirded out. We don't want any hindrance to the gospel. You, you, you worry about eating meat. If nobody says anything, eat the meat. Otherwise, if they say something, don't eat it. But let's not make meat a hindrance to the gospel, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. We're going to live in the culture we're, we're in, and let's not make stumbling blocks for people outside. So, yeah, it, absolutely, it, it, could, it could totally be that as well. But, but can we, are, are we in agreement that we don't think um, the women should veil themselves and we don't think men have to unveil themselves? That our culture is different enough that the specific command doesn't apply to us in the same way. So what should we do with it then? What is like under like like you're saying like what um, like what a is cultural Paul example? Yeah, I like, mean the naked thing is not. Like, <laughs> that's not like a you know. It's right. tongue in cheek for sure. Right. Yes. Right. But yes. like, what would be a real example of something that we would experience either in like well, I guess specifically in American like Western culture um, or yeah. within the yeah. within the church I even. Like yeah. Growing up, like being required to wear like a suit and tie to church, and that was that excluded people. That yeah. that excluded the people, and maybe even potentially weirded out some of the people that might have been reached otherwise. Yeah. And um, I don't know. That's 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 like the main example I guess I could think yeah. of. Just like having certain like really high standards of dress requirements in order to participate. Yeah. And I think you, like, I know my dad wasn't welcomed um, into, he, I think he wanted to like sing in a choir or something, like sing as part of the choir of a, of a church. It was yeah. the church that we yeah. were from. And when he first came, he had a big beard and they said you had to trim up the beard. Like you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't have your big hippie beard and be up in front of the church. Like you had to fit certain molds and like certain uh, yeah, cultural requirements. So you yeah, can, I guess you could apply that, maybe. Yeah, like it, it's almost as if we were like creating a subculture that we don't need, but it, we're doing it in such a way that it's actually excluding us. I, I remember a friend of mine who was saved out of like gang culture, and he would show up with, you know, his low-rise jeans, you know, sagging down, and his um, tank tops and chains and <laughs> tattoos everywhere, um, and we loved him. Um, and one day he shows up in a full three-piece suit, like with the vest and everything, and he just he just looks uncomfortable, right? Um, and I asked him, like, "Hey, you know what's what's up? You know, um, that's a great suit. Like, what's going on?" And he said, "I just feel like people look at me different if I if I dress different, right?" Um, we we could be guilty of taking these ideas of respect. And making them like the opposite of what Paul is trying to get at. Like Paul is trying to welcome people and offer them dignity. And we end up saying respect is the issue. Um, So we all need to dress a certain way to demonstrate respect. And we actually end up excluding outsiders. Like what is a way that we would welcome outsiders and offer them dignity within the, the context of our church service? Within the context of our whatever gathering we have, whether it's you know this Sunday or or it's within the MC, like what would it look like to welcome outsiders, not weird them out, not you know demonstrate that we are making ourselves sexually available, um, but offering offering people dignity who might be coming from those those spaces. Yeah. 
I just thought of, um, I really liked, I like the new one, but I really liked our old called Communion. Yes. Like the Come As You Oh, oh. Um, I yeah. think that was a really tangible way where like, if you're here and you're joining us, like you're welcome to the table. This is not our mm -hmm. table, this is the Lord's table. Oh, yeah. Like, in our brokenness, we're all on the same playing field. I like that. We're extending yeah. it to everybody. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that, that's good. I think yeah. that, a big part of the like difficulty in translating a lot of the Bible to modern times is is very much an honor shame culture. Yeah. Where now we're very like results based and like, um, and here it's like instead of trying to make sure everyone stays in shame, mm -hmm. let's try and find ways to honor them. Yeah. And it's like one of the examples I was thinking of is like when you go to youth camp. And it's like all the girls have to wear a t-shirt when they go in the lake, mm -hmm. but the guys like shouldn't wear a t-shirt because like that's what the women do. Um, yeah. And it's like if a guy wears a t-shirt, it's shameful because he's like afraid to show his body. But yeah. if a woman does it, like a girl does it, yeah, and doesn't wear a t-shirt, it's like well she's being promiscuous at a youth camp. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like it's like we're just shaming each other. Right. Um, right. And so like. Yeah. Um, but like thinking of ways that we inadvertently shame people uh -huh. just because of how our culture is where yeah. if somebody came in say it was a woman wearing a uh, like a backless dress or something like that like maybe she would feel uncomfortable or if someone was homeless and they had to park their cart out here because there wasn't anywhere else to park it and now yeah. they have to sit out there and watch their cart while we're in here doing yeah. our thing. That would yeah. be shameful even though it's not illegal or wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. just ways that we aren't being actively inclusive mm -hmm. so thereby we're being exclusive. It's good, yeah, it's good. Wonderful, yeah, go ahead. I, I want to go back to this thing about guys praying with their heads covered. Yep. Why is it when we stand to pledge allegiance or sing the national anthem, yeah. you're told to remove your hat? Yeah. 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 Why? Why do we? I don't know. Yeah. Because I think like that is like considered a prayer. I, I don't know. Like if, if it's considered a prayer, then I'm not going to pray it anymore, right? <laughs> but, but there is some cultural thing for men to take their hat off is the sign of respect. That's what you're getting at, right? It's almost like a salute, right? Yeah. It's it's a cultural norm. So so let me say this. Like if if you if you feel like, hey, take my hat off is a sign of respect, and so like I'm I'm gonna when I pray, I, I think of it the same ways. I, I have no problem with that, right? Um, I, I, I'm not gonna elbow the homeless guy and be like, Take no, your yes, we're not we're we're not gonna sit in judgment of people that might not be doing that, right? Um, so so that's the idea. Um, but yeah, like like th there's there's an element to like, hey, we we all have to exercise our conscience here and figure out like in my culture what does this mean, right? And how can I demonstrate um, love and care and respect? And, and if taking off your hat is a way that you love your neighbor and love God, um, then take off your hat. Uh, if it carries no cultural connotation for you, um, 
that's okay too, right? Well, and I can attest that even in the United States of America, like we have lived in many different states. Yeah. And like the difference in culture, we moved here from yeah. freaking South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> and the difference in culture is is like sometimes I tell people like what was the norm there, and it's like. What is yeah. wrong with those yeah. people? But I'm telling you that that would they are things that they value, and it doesn't matter whatever yeah. the, the right or wrong the, of the value is a different discussion. But the point is, is that there are different cultures all over the United States. Yeah. So like understanding the culture that you are in at the time. Yeah. Matters. If if we were if we were having a church service in the Deep South or South Carolina, it might look very different than Littleton, Colorado. No. <laughs> the Mount High, yeah. It might. Yeah. It will. It will. Yeah. And, and if, if we try to go plant our church with our Colorado values, we, we might not fit. So, okay. So we're not looking at what are the rules that we're supposed to follow that are common to all Christians. I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I think he's saying, Corinthians, here's what you're struggling with this. Here's how you navigate it. And we look at that and we say, in my culture... In America, in Colorado, in Littleton, how do I take that and apply it? And it's going to look different here than it's going to look in South Carolina, than it's going to look in Kenya, right? Specifically by protecting a, vul- a vulnerable group. Yeah, like, right. It sounds like that like is offering, like the women were offering to be dignity. And making sure that like we're not sending the wrong message with the way that we interact together. Does that make sense? Okay. It is great that feel okay about like that. all all throughout this, he's just laying out like, hey, here's a here's a biblical principle for you to yeah. work off of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here's another biblical principle for yeah. you to work off of. And then what the passage right after this is, all right, now you guys go figure it out. Yeah. Like yeah. You guys you guys talk about it and figure it out. Because if anybody wants to be contentious about this or anyone wants to right. argue, I got nothing else. Yeah. We have <laughs> no mean, practice of being contentious. Verses, that's what yeah. he's saying. Like, let's honor God. Let's honor each other. And let's talk about it yeah. and, and work it out. If you pro- judge for yourselves is the, is the next verse, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, go and judge for yourselves. Figure this out. But we have no practice of being contentious with each other. Right? Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, we okay with head coverings, gender norms. We, we kind of understand why we don't require women to veil or men to remove their hats every time. I do want to say, though, yeah. that like, I, have, I know people that do cover their heads mm-hmm. when they pray, and it's more symbolic than anything. Yeah. It's, yeah. They don't do it because they feel like they have to, and obviously it's, you can go extreme both ways. Yeah. But it's... They symbolically are doing it as a way to be in submission to God. Right. It's a physical liturgy. Yeah. 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 So Bobby, I think it was a couple weeks ago, talked about the idea of liturgical theater. Okay? Um, And that the Bible is big on liturgical theater. Um, especially the old Testament, you have all these sacrifices. You have the um, the Day of Atonement. You got the uh, the scapegoat and everything. did the scapegoat metaphysically remove, like, take the sins and, like, put them on the goat, and then they move out with the goat? Is that metaphysically what's happening? Or is it, like, I'm offering you a picture of how I'm working with you, right? Um, and so 
like I, I, I think sometimes we shy away from liturgical theater um, and say like it doesn't have any value because there's no, nothing metaphysical under it. Um, but it can actually, it can actually be valuable. I, I think communion is liturgical theater, but it's incredibly valuable, and I would never want to do without it, right? Um, okay, next passage. Uh, for God is not, this is 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Had a lot of women speaking this morning. Okay. Well, context again. Context again. You've got prophecy on either side of this. Yeah. So we're, we're coming right from like, hey, we're assuming women are prophesying they should do it this way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So what, what, what do we think Paul might mean then? Are, are we all okay with the fact that several women have spoken and not remained silent this morning? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe he was cranky that day. No, I no, don't also, think. Well, my question is, what did it mean in their culture? Yeah, it refers because to law, it's but it doesn't yeah. say what law. Yeah. There's, there's this weird thing Paul does in 1 Corinthians, and this is where translations struggle. Um, Scott McKnight came out with a new um, translation of the New Testament. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, he actually highlights this, where Paul will quote things that people have been saying and then dismantle them. Okay, So he'll say something like, all things are lawful for me, but are all things really good for you? Okay, And, and over and over again, you go through 1 Corinthians, and he, Paul is saying things, and then he's like, it's almost like he's saying the opposite. And... Um, if you read 1 Corinthians, you see over and over again this phrase, now concerning, like you get to about six, chapter 6 or 7, now concerning meat offered to idols, now concerning spiritual gifts, now concerning um, the Lord's table. Um, over and over again, Paul is responding to a letter that they've written to them, to him. Okay, We don't have that letter. We don't know exactly what they wrote, but it feels like over and over, Paul is quoting things and then dismantling them. Okay, so like here's here's things that I've heard said. Let me let's let's dispense with that. Okay, so if we think like we know Paul is has already talked about women prophesying and praying and he's giving them instructions, assuming that they're doing it and saying when you do it. Do it this way because of the angels, right? Or because of the messengers. Um, I we don't think Paul is telling women that they should be silent in in church, right? Even though that's exactly what it says right here, right? So how how do we deal with that? In in my opinion, it is most likely Paul is saying, um, as in all the churches I've heard. I've heard this in all the churches. Women should keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. For, is there any? If, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Um, 
One thing that was hugely enlightening for me as I studied this passage, this is almost a direct quote that Cato delivered to the Roman Senate when they were talking about women's participation in the broader culture. Women are not permitted to speak, and if they want to learn, they should go home and ask their husbands. Okay? It's almost verbatim what Cato said in the Roman Senate, and Philo came along and wrote a book about everything that happened there, and this book was something that was commonly read, and so in their culture, there was this idea that Women should not speak when, you know, when things are happening. And if they really want to know something, they should just go home and ask their husbands. Okay? You know what Paul says? Anybody have it open there? Yeah. What does Paul say right after this? 36. Is that yes. where? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says, Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual... You should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Okay, so right after this where he says women should be silent. If they want to learn something, they should go home and ask their husband. He launches into this like question that is a very rhetorical question are you guys the first ones to hear the gospel do you think that this is new to you and there's almost this underlying don't you know that like from the beginning it was women that were telling that were talking about the resurrection like do you think you guys originally heard where do you think we got this from guys okay and then there's this encouragement at the end, and this is, this is it. This is where we get in trouble with translations, right? Verse 39. So then, okay, in ESV, what does it say? Anybody know? Verse 39. So then. My brothers, earnestly desire. Okay. In what, what were you reading? Uh, uh, in, hold on. I was going to change versions. NLT. NLT. It said my brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters. The CEB, brothers and sisters. NIV also. NIV is brothers and sisters. NASB is brothers. Okay. So, so I thought that yeah. the whole context of this particular verse was about is addressing tongues. So the whole thing yeah. tongues. So it's like the whole thing before that was like if it's if people are just speaking in tongues and there's no translation. There's no translate, yeah. And everyone's in confusion, no one's being edified. Yep. So women like I always took this as, so women, if you want to speak in tongues, like, like go home and do that with your husband at home. Mm-hmm. That's how I always took this. Not as a prescription for women's authority in the church, but as a direct right. following of how we handle tongues in the church because there's so much confusion. Yeah, yeah. There, there's an element. So, so broader context, if we zoom further out, um, chapter 12, he starts with now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, and he's going to address some questions that they had about spiritual gifts. And what he says is basically you guys are all trying for the flashiest spiritual gifts. Like everybody wants to prophesy or speak in tongues or heal um, like and do the flashy ones. Um, Don't you know that you're a body and like the head needs a foot and like there's no body part that's better than any other. You need every body part to be healthy and and all of that. And then he gets to the end of chapter 12. He says, let me show you a more excellent way. And then he launches into 13, which is our 
love chapter, right? And he starts with, though I speak with the tongues of men and of In other words, if I have the gift of tongues, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have the gift of healing and faith and, and all of that, and I don't have love, it's, it's worthless, right? Just, you know, just burn me up and it doesn't, doesn't even matter. Here's what love looks like. Now by its faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, back to spiritual gifts, right? So there's all this chaos and confusion because everybody's speaking in tongues. There's not a translator. It's just a mess. Um, the women, um, there, so there's, there's a couple ways to take this. Either women, if you're speaking in tongues and causing chaos, go do it at home. Um, or the women are being told not to speak at all um, and not to, like, to be silent and submission. Um, don't you know that you're not the first to receive this? At the end of this chapter, this is where, this is where we struggle, right? He says, so then, brothers and sisters, depending on your translation, so then brothers or so then brothers and sisters, use your ambition to try to get the gift of prophecy and don't prevent speaking in tongues. In other words, if you want to be ambitious, like, sure, prophecy is hugely important but don't prevent people from speaking it. So it's almost like women should be silent, but then don't prevent speaking in tongues. So the question is, is it brothers or is it brothers and sisters? And if it's brothers, is it exclusively men that should be seeking after prophesying and not being restricted from speaking in tongues? Or is it brothers and sisters who should be seeking after prophesying and not being restricted from speaking in tongues? Do you, do you see that? Like that's kind of where where the crux of it is, okay? Because if he's telling the people in general, seek after prophesying and don't restrict, don't restrict speaking in tongues, then what we have to say is when Paul says women should be silent, he doesn't mean that. Because he's telling them, go after prophecy and don't restrict speaking in tongues, okay? The word there is adelphoi. Okay, in Greek they have masculine and feminine. Masculine is generally the the generic sense, right? So, um, <coughs> in the same way that we would say mankind, we don't mean specifically men. Adelphoi, Paul has used throughout this book to refer to the entire congregation. Okay, so over and over and over again, Paul uses this word adelphoi, but it really seems like he's speaking to the because he's talking about gospel truths in a lot of places. Things that would apply both to men and women. Um, and he's using this word Adelphoi over and over and over again. If throughout the book he's using it to refer to the entire congregation, then when he gets here and he says, use your ambition to try to get the gift of prophecy and don't prevent speaking in tongues, who is he talking to? Can we actually say he's only talking to the men that they should prophesy and not restrict speaking in tongues. Like this, the only time in the book that he would be doing that. Do, do, do you see the problem there? Um, and he finishes like the, the final context. What are we actually talking about? Everything should be decently in order. Like we, we should not be in the middle of chaos. And, and there's all, there's tongues. Um, there's women being told to, to keep silent. There's all this happening. Um, but guys, we, sh we should be organized here. Go after prophecy. We need people to speak the prophetic word. Don't restrict speaking in tongues. But whatever you do, 
guys, let's, let's be organized. Let's not creep outsiders out, right? Okay, we regularly have women prophesy, and we, we don't use that word a lot, but women, like, call the confession. I cannot tell you how many times a woman has gotten up and delivered a prophetic word to our church, right? That has, um, that has convicted um, or um, uh, corrected or instructed um, or gotten up and, and prayed before the congregation. Um, are, are we all agreed that at least we're okay with that? Okay. If we were to expand on that, if we don't see this as a prohibition, like women shouldn't need to be silent in church, what, what if a woman got up and delivered the sermon? That's something that we haven't necessarily done. To me, it's a bigger question. I mean, it feels like we're, not to say this is wrong, but it feels like we're trying to base our entire structure around Paul, one man, direction. And in my mind, <coughs> there's a little bit bigger scope, and that is, what does God say? Mm -hmm. And from the beginning of the Bible, men and, men and women are created in God's image. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would we say, okay, well, they're both in his image, but this part has to be excluded from this? You know? Yeah. The, and, and so so this is one of the keys. Um, we, I hope we all affirm men and women are both made in the image of God. And that whatever, whatever Paul means when he says... Um, uh, man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. It doesn't mean that women are somehow lesser than men. Would, would we agree to that? Uh, or that they bear the image in a lesser way that, that there's an ontological difference. This is the word that if, if you start reading this stuff, this comes up over and over again. There's an ontological difference, a difference in being between men and women. Would we agree that there's no ontological difference between men and women? Yes. There's no difference in being, yes. right? This is not the historic view of the church, okay? If we talk about, like, what is the traditional view, um, and complementarians tend to say, like, this is the traditional view of church authority, the traditional view is that... Um, it was Eve that was deceived. And so women are more prone to being deceived. And that there is an ontology. Like if, if you read. Um, uh, um, starts with an A. Man. The Bishop of Hippo. Uh, Augustine. 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 Yeah. Um, and other church fathers. Um, they're very explicit that women are lesser. And that's why we need men in charge. Okay. So if we talk about the, like, the traditional view, complementarianism is actually fairly new in saying that there is no ontological difference, right? We would agree with complementarians and egalitarians, like both sides agree, there's no ontological difference. Both of those depart from the traditional view that says that Eve was deceived, women are more prone to being deceived, they don't bear the image in the same way that man does because woman is the glory of man where man is the glory of, of God. Um, Okay, um, let's, look, let's look at the last one because I don't want to be here forever. Um, 
First Timothy 2. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay. Um, when we talk about... Uh, female authority in the church. Um, this really is the, the key passage. Um, the other ones are, they're, they're not really about authority. They're about, um, you know, prophesying and praying. They're about whether women should be silent or um, can participate. Um, this one is the one that really divides people. Okay, depending on how you understand 1 Timothy 2, will really kind of determine which way you go on this. Okay? Let a lear- woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Okay. We've, we've already said we don't think that means that a woman needs to be quiet in the church service. And that they should, um, they should uh, be silent. Right? Would, would, would you agree with that? That's not necessarily what Paul is talking about here. Okay. Paul says, I do not permit, and it's really like, I am not permitting a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. What, what do we think? Again, context, right? Context, context, context. Anybody know what Paul is talking about or what <coughs> Timothy is dealing with? I wish we had time to read like the whole letter to Timothy um, because it would pro- and, and, and maybe we'll do like a, a broader sermon on this. Um, but again, Paul is addressing uh, chaos. OK, and there's a bunch of women that are coming from uh, the church in Ephesus or the, the, the cult in Ephesus. Um, and they they have been deceived by some of these weird cultic teachings, all right? And Paul talks about some of them. Like, you, you, you guys are saying you should get married, that you should withhold sexual relations, um, that, like, you have to be celibate, all right? Um, so there is a level of deception that has, in Ephesus, primarily affected women, Okay? Now, with, with that in mind, there's, there's some of the, there's, there's obviously more than that, but with that in mind, what do we think Paul is saying? Is he delivering a once for all command that women should never be in a position of authority over men? Just based on the background. Sounds like what he's really saying is, be careful which of these women. You <coughs> there, 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 there's an element. There's that I am not permitting a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. Um, but here's where. Okay, so, so let me let me be really honest with you. I, I personally, am an egalitarian. A lot of the people that I like that I grew up with, I. I I cannot tell you how much reading has gone on 
Um, I've got a stack of books here and then my Kindle. Um, and the Kindle would more than double this stack of books. Okay. Um, I, was, I watched videos. Um, Tim Keller and Don Carson. I don't know if you know those. Some of you know those names. Um, the Gospel Coalition. Um, they started the Gospel Coalition along with John Piper. Um, I, I love Tim Keller. And I, I'm sad that he's gone. Um, he comes to this and he says, Paul is forbidding something. And we can't walk away from this passage without saying that something is forbidden. Okay? And so for him, what he says is to be on the safe side, we're going to forbid women from teaching and exercising authority. Okay? What, what, what do we think about that? It's weird to disagree with Tim Keller. Okay? <laughs> Can I just say that? Um, or Don Carson, like, honestly, um, and, and T. Wright agrees with me, so I, at least I have that, right? I, I also think, like, there's just this, like, string of, like, we talk a lot about the whole story of, yeah. you know, from beginning to end, and I, in a lot of other senses, we would not rely on one passage for, mm-hmm. for something like that. Yeah. And I think, I just personally think because... Patriarchy has been strong forever. I think that's why this stuff has come down where it has. Yeah. Can yeah. you also define egalitarian? Sure. Uh, so I would say that um, within the church body, there is no um, there is no functional difference in roles between men and women. In other words, that women can participate fully in all areas of church life, including um, eldership and, and pastorship. Except when you look at the next chapter. Yeah, the, no, this, honestly, we could go on and on, right? Uh, because why? First Timothy 3 does what? It says, if, if someone would desire the office of an overseer or elder or like whatever word you want to put there, then what? Okay. Okay. Yes. We, sh- we should get to that. Um, so it's not just one verse. It's not just one verse, right? Um, and it's not just like one, like on, if, if we come to this, um, it feels fairly explicit too. Like it can be one verse if it's like actually really, really clear about it. Um, but again, big ideas. Men and women are both made in the image of God. There's no ontological difference between them. So if we are going to set up some kind of difference where there is a role that is restricted to only males, we, we should have a good reason for that. Okay. So, so when it comes to burden of proof, a lot of times it's put on the egalitarians because of passages like this. I think the, the broad sweep of the Bible, um, if we are both made in the image of God... Um, then we should have really good reasons for restricting specific roles. Go ahead, Tom. So I think I saw the video you're referencing because I heard Dr. Keller talk about uh-huh. that. And the video I saw, unfortunately, I think was just a short clip. But, yeah. you know, when you're quoting him saying, hey, if he's forbidding something, so what is it? So I would just say to me, it seems like we ought to follow the same method uh-huh. that we're looking at head coverings with. Like, yeah. something is being said. Yes. Let's understand it. Let's see what it meant to them and then yeah. understand what we can do to us. Yeah. So I, I have no problem agreeing with Keller or literally anyone. I know yeah. I'm just a know-it-all. But 
but, uh, but I appreciate what he's outlining is we can't just ignore it. Right. Nor do I think you're saying that, right? But no. But you know, let's follow what we did before and like what does it mean? What yes. would it have meant to them? Because that that's what I think he's getting at. And like I think the the argument that I heard was you can't just say, oh, it's just Paul had a bad day. Like right. I know we're saying right. tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. Yes. Like, there's something there. Let's understand it. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and I appreciate that because what, what Keller and Carson say on the video is people want to dismiss this verse. I'm not doing that. Right. I do not want to dismiss this verse. And I honestly, I completely agree with what Paul is saying here. Okay? I'm not saying Paul was wrong. I'm not saying Paul was misguided. I absolutely agree with what Paul is saying here. Okay? So what is Paul saying here? What does Paul mean by authority? And you have to follow it up with she shall be saved through childbearing. I'm just saying, like, this is a weird question. Are you going to try to say women are only saved through childbearing? Like... If you, if you are, Paul elsewhere in yeah. Corinthians advocates um, not getting married and staying celibate, all right? Are those women not saved because they don't give birth to children? Okay, if we take a very literal, like, approach to this, man, we, we're, we're getting in trouble here, okay? Because, like, all of us would agree that salvation is not by works, um, and the work of childbirth is not what saves someone before God. Paul must mean something else. He has to, right? When he says they're saved through childbearing, he has to mean something else. Other than you are justified before God on the basis of your childbearing, right? Okay. The problem we run into right here is the word that Paul uses for authority is it, it is, again, this, you get into some weird terminology when you really study this out. It's a, it's, and help me with the pronunciation, a hapax legomenon. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Um, which means this is the only place in the entire Greek Bible that this word, authentine, appears. Okay. It's translated as authority in the ESV. In other translations, you're going to see um, uh, domineering. Uh, usurping authority. If you look at the literature of the time period that Paul listed in, um, so, so when we have a Hapax Legomenon, right, um, we can't compare scripture to scripture. We have to say, okay, how did people in the general culture use this word? Okay? That word authentic, that, that we see as authority, um, in some places it was translated as um, assassin, or it was, it was used to imply like an assassin. Um, it was uh, uh, translated as murderer. Um, in, in almost every case, um, it was seen as like this semi-violent usurping of power. Okay? Um, so just saying authority doesn't quite get at the, because there's other words that Paul uses um, in the Greek for authority. Okay, that, that signify a normal, healthy view of authority, right? And that's what we're talking about. Should women um, be allowed to have a normal, you know, position of authority, not like an evil position of authority? That's not what we're advocating for. 
Paul had plenty of words he could have used. He uses the word authentine. Nowhere else in the Bible is it used. And in outside literature, it's, it's used in most cases as this very negative domineering authority, even like assassination. Um, okay. With that in mind, what do we think Paul might be talking about? So are you saying it's possible that he's saying something more like, I do not permit a woman to bully a man? Something like that. That, that is, yes, that is, um, if we look at the ways that authentine is, is translated outside of the Bible, because we can't look at inside, right? Um, it would be more the, con- like, in other words, um, you women are coming in with these crazy ideas that you picked up from the sex cult, Right? I am not permitting women here to teach right now, right? I'm not permitting women to teach. They need to learn for a while. Um, and I don't want women to bully or teach in a way that they are bullying men. And ultimately, like, you guys all, the, the, I love the, one of these books. And maybe this is where you'll land, neither complementary nor egalitarian. Um, she basically says, guys, we keep talking about authority, Paul is not actually big on authority. You are supposed to submit to each other. Everybody's supposed to submit to each other in mutuality and unity and love. And your, your um, um, egalitarianism and complementarianism, all of it is just missing what Paul is getting at because it's all talking about authority. And Paul is more talking about unity and community. Okay? Um, so what does the word teaching here mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where, even on the video, Carson and Keller are arguing about, is it one thing, teaching and authority? Or, I'm sorry, is it two things, teaching and authority, like separate? I'm, I'm not permitting a woman to teach and be an authority. Or is it one thing, teaching in a bullying way? Okay? And, and if, if you watch the video, it's funny because I, I think Carson says it's two things. And then Keller says, I agree with you that it's one thing. Um, <laughs> I'm not completely sure where they land. But we know from 1 Corinthians that Paul is assuming that women will prophesy and pray as part of their gathering. Right? Is teaching a different category than prophesying that we should then restrict? Or is it just one thing, teaching in a bullying way? It sounds like that. It sounds like, it sounds like that. And then what do we do with, guys, she'll be saved through childbirth. Okay. But childbirth had a much different context. In that much different today. context. And, and it was like, like, how many times is it quoted as like, sin childbirth like you're gonna experience this like yes there's such a familiar th- that, that that term would be a different term to them and the shame yeah. in not having children like yes so well and and remember the ephesian cult that the women were deceived by they were going around and saying you should be celibate you should not get married you should um not have relations with your spouse like you you should be ascetic in this way and not do any of these things like okay with that in mind when paul says you'll be saved through childbirth 
it's it's probably just a rebuke against all of these things people are hearing. Like, no, guys, don't you know, like, in the beginning, because Paul alludes to Adam and Eve here, right? And this is where Keller and Carson, um, this is one of the things that they're like, the reason we can't say this is a cultural thing is because um, he talks about Adam and Eve, and that's transcultural, okay? That's their argument. Um, Paul is talking about Adam and Eve. What was the promise to Eve? That she would bear a child and that one day through their through the childbirth, like eventually we're going to come to a redeemer. Right. Don't you know, like, how could it be possible that you're supposed to restrict sexual relations, that you're supposed to be celibate, that you're not supposed to be getting married when in the beginning salvation came through childbirth? Doesn't that make a lot more sense of this than if we just read it and said, Women, one, one way for, like, okay, every woman who's given birth to a child is now redeemed? Like, Paul is talking, oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, through, through the whole conversation, I, I'm continuing to think about single women. Yeah, right? yeah. What if you don't have husband home to teach you or interpret your speaking in tongues? Yes. So what if you don't have, like, what if you don't have childlike, and even the equality of men and women, it's not like, you're only living in the fullness of you are the glory of your husband. Yes. Like, then you have yes. to hold all women equal to all men, married or not. Yeah. Married or not. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And Paul is not holding up marriage as an ideal because in other places he's like, guys, considering the times we're living in, I don't think it's a good idea to get married. Okay, we all agree that that was a cultural thing, right? Um, none of us would say that we as a body should not allow people to get married or we should discourage people from getting married. Um, and so Paul has single people in mind. Um, okay. Mark, I just wanted to yeah. point out like something you were just saying. I was sitting here wondering, because even when it says she'll be saved through childbearing, like even in the English, you can see like, well, who's she? Who did you just mention? Yeah. So like, I don't, think that the she will be saved through childbearing is saying anything weird. He's making that point, it seems to me, Paul, like you said, about the promise made to Eve. Yeah. He's still talking about yeah. Eve. He's yeah. not jumping back to this hypothetical teaching woman. Like, he's yeah. talking about Eve. Well, and it's weird, too, because he, he switches from singular to plural, if you watch it there. She will be saved through, yes, yeah, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Like, listen, we need childbirth. Obviously, because she was saved through childbirth, but continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. I am telling you to go have sex with your husbands, but you guys should not become a sexual cult. Do, do, do you see that? Like you, you need childbirth. You need like all of that, but don't lose self-control. Like let's not be like the, the pagans around us. Okay. Yeah. I think that's important because in the beginning of Timothy, he talks about, hey, this is what's going on in Ephesus and Macedonia. Yeah. We have to be unified in what yeah. we're thinking. So this is how we have to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like Paul's concern is not what, what we come to the Bible with, right? We come to the Bible with how should we set up the hierarchical structures of authority within our churches? That is not what... Paul is talking about this is how you are going to live and survive as a church in the midst. Okay, remember, like our cultural 
um, connection to, uh, to the kingdom is very different than theirs because at any moment they could just be wiped out by the Romans. Okay? You guys are acting a little weird. Like, we're going to come in and put an end to this. And so Paul, like, even, you know, we've got the Ephesians passage in there. Um, right after this Ephesians passage about wives submitting to husbands, he, said, he tells the slaves to submit themselves to their masters. Paul is not giving us this instruction manual to say, here's what Christian culture is going to look like. What he's doing is he's saying, within your cultural context, here's how we should navigate that. Slaves, sure, like culture says you, you obey your masters. I want you to do it so well that they are shocked by your devotion. But masters, I want you to treat your slaves as if they are in the image of God. Okay? What, what is really shocking, if you read through Ephesians, is there's this yes and going on where Paul is like, yes, wives submit to your husbands, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And he goes on and it's, it's really, again, if you, if you read the literature, it gets really weird because Paul tells the husbands to do these things that are very feminine things. You feed them like, just like, just like Jesus washes you and gets rid of the wrinkles and all like he, like these are very feminine qualities. And Paul's like, husbands, you treat your wives like this. Like, it is shocking. He's not upending the culture and saying, here's what Christian culture is going to look like for all time. He's saying, within your culture, here's how I want you to navigate it. Wives, yes, this is what, our, this is what it looks like. Submit to your husbands. But husbands, like, you love your wives even in feminine ways, which is weird and would have been shocking to them. Slaves, sure, obey your masters. Like, this is the cult. None, none of us would advocate for slavery today, I don't think. Paul says, slaves obey your masters in such a way like as if they were Christ himself, right? But masters, you treat your slaves as if they are your brothers in Christ. Shocking, upending, right? He's not, so again, the Bible's not an instruction manual on how to create culture. It's a book of wisdom on how to navigate culture. So, questions? Comments, yeah. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I also think we come at this with a, such a thick lens that we overlook how countercultural this was. Like, mm -hmm. women, you get to learn. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to be silent. Yeah, yeah. Like, and when it talks about in quietness and full submission, like, several verses before that, he's like, everyone needs to live quiet lives. Yeah. Like, that's our goal is to live yeah. quiet lives, to not stir up trouble, yeah. to not create slander for one another yeah. to have this quiet, unified life. Yeah. And so then when it's talking about like, women should learn in quietness and submission, yeah. that's more of the culture I see it through. Yeah. Of, yeah. Like, don't seek to like uh, overthrow the authority. Yeah. But like, in your submission, let's work as a family and try to promote the whole. Yeah. Instead yeah. of like, trying to undermine my boss at work because I don't like what she asked me to do. Yeah. Like I'll do it because it just helps all of us. Right. And then at some point, then this is then where it becomes vague or people have different ideas. It's like, should a woman be allowed to be the lead pastor, not yeah. the lead pastor? Yeah. And the SBC just kicked out a bunch of churches over this, mm -hmm. including Saddleback Brick Warren Church, yeah. right? 
Um, I, I hope like this feels like a safe place to discuss this because when we get out into broader church culture, it, it is not as safe. Okay. Um, like the SBC is a huge funding source and a huge network. Um, and like you are being kicked out based on your interpretation of first Timothy two, right? Um, Soma, whose, whose primary, um, hallmark is missional communities. Um, Soma doesn't allow churches that aren't complementarian. Um, the Gospel Coalition, which is all about like our unity in the gospel, um, does not allow you in if you're not complementarian. Okay. Um, so as as we navigate this in this space, I hope it feels safe because a lot of times as a pastor navigating this and trying to understand like where we fit in the broader culture of churches. Um, like there are doors in your face uh, because of your conclusions on this, um, but um, maybe we'll take another another week sometime and and talk some more about it. Talk about First Timothy three. Um, talk about Ephesians uh, five and six, um, and and work through some of those. Um, we're we're not installing any any female elders next week or anything like that. Um, but this is the beginning to a conversation about. Um, what we think Paul is saying and how we think the Bible works um, and, and fleshing that out. But ultimately, um, like Johnny said, like we want to focus on like what, what, what Paul is really concerned about, this unity that we have and the reason that we have this unity, even with people we disagree with. Um, I would not be welcome in the Gospel Coalition, but I love Tim Keller and John Piper and Don Carson. Why? Because it's Christ alone, right? That, that our hope is found. And... Um, and I hope that we can um, believe that about each other too. All right.